Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Grant Haver, and I want to introduce you to the newest podcast on the DSR Network, Next in Foreign Policy. Every other week, Zoe Weinberg and I talk with new and emerging foreign policy experts about the issues of today and tomorrow. We've covered everything from the war in Ukraine to the impact of pop culture on policy. So if you want to better understand the people and ideas that will be shaping the debate in Washington and around the world for years to come, check us out wherever you find your podcasts. As you've come to rely on Deep State Radio's in-depth expert analysis, we hope that you will consider becoming a member to support our efforts. Members receive access to exclusive bonus content on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member briefings, and our new Ukraine Daily Brief newsletter, delivered to your inbox each evening. To become a member, visit bit.ly slash dsrmember and enter code MARCH2022 to receive 28% off a monthly or annual membership. Thank you. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you today from gray, slightly warming Cambridge, Massachusetts. Joining us today from Washington, D.C., we have two of our friends, two of the keenest observers on what is going on in Washington, D.C., Norm Ornstein of American Enterprise Institute, David Korn of Mother Jones. How are you doing, guys? Good today. It's gray down here, too. Oh, I'm fine. And, uh, you know, it's uh, gray and uh, starting to rain. Well, I'll be in D.C. tomorrow, so I look forward to enjoying that. Sounds fantastic. We'll be joined a little bit later in the show by our friend, uh, Dr. Kavita Patel, but I'm going to dive right in now. I have been, I will admit, immersed in dealing with issues associated with Ukraine and Russia for the past several weeks. But every so often I look up and I see something new going on in Washington. And it seems like in several cases, these are things of some significance. We have a scandal involving a Supreme Court justice. We have uh, reports that the Department of Justice is actually expanding its inquiry regarding January 6th to look more at the origins and the financing of January 6th. We have uh, plummeting opinion polls for the president and thoughts that the Republicans might win 50 or more House seats in the fall, which would certainly mark the end of any January 6th investigation in the House. I think we have today, as we speak, Jared Kushner testifying testifying in front of that January 6th committee. And I think what I'd like to do is to turn to each of you and ask you in you know, a couple of minutes, what do you think of all of this? Are we moving closer to a moment of accountability in this country? 
or is this just more news that's going to result in more frustration? I wish I had the answer, uh, David. Uh, There are certainly some signs that the degree to which Donald Trump and those close to him have been able to skate away from accountability may be changing. A district court judge ruling that uh, there is a strong probability that Trump committed crimes does not necessarily mean the Justice Department is going to agree. There are reasons that a lot of legal scholars and prosecutors say that it's not quite as definitive when it comes to what judgments the Justice Department will make. But the fact that John Eastman's communications are going to be turned over to the January 6th committee, which will probably include communications with Trump himself and with others, may make a difference. You know, at the same time, we have this seven hour gap in phone records from the White House. And whatever happens with White House records, and, you know, the way the call logs work in the White House, they're actually done by the National Archives. And uh, somebody at the National Archives is either going to be able to say, they told me not to compile the logs or they kept me out of the process. But whatever happens there, the fact is that we've had a number of technical experts say that cell phone towers can capture phone calls from burner phones. Uh, The president in saying, I don't even know what a burner phone is, means that he had burner phones. But also, whatever the White House did to cover up its phone calls, they're making phone calls to others. And those others, and there's a pretty good idea that we can have of who might be getting those calls, those records can be subpoenaed. And we're going to know something more about what was going on. So I think there's a chance, at least, that we'll have some real accountability here, but only a chance. And I'm also hoping that something more will be done especially if we are able to gain more access to the phone records and communications of Ginny Thomas, uh, that's Clarence Thomas's wife, leading up to January 6th and on January 6th that went beyond simply the ones we've seen with Mark Meadows. Maybe there'll be some accountability there and it will finally hit, as she says, her best friend, her husband, the Supreme Court Justice, who so far has not recused himself from a single thing involving the outrageous right-wing activities of his wife that happened long before January 6th and have continued since. Well, David, Norm has wound me up. Tell me, how, how, do you, how are you feeling right now? He always gets me going, particularly when I'm looking <laughs> on the Twitter feed. Um, I'm glad to you know, be a comrade of his in, in these last few years and sort of the fight for just democracy and, and governance. I look at it as my favorite New Yorker cartoon of all time is Charles Dickens sitting at a, you know, a desk with an, at someone else's desk in front of this guy, and it says copy editor. And the fellow says, now, surely, Mr. Dickens, it could not have been both the best of times <laughs> and the worst of times. <laughs> and I, I, I wish I, I, I should go look it up because I don't remember who drew that cartoon, but I, uh, it is one of my all time favorites. I see things going in two completely opposite directions now. People who are listening at home can't see me with my hands splitting in two different ways. But you know, if you take you know what 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 Norm just said in terms of the investigative accountability side. The January 6th committee uh, seems to be getting more and more information, even though they're fighting subpoenas with a whole lot of folks 
who are not cooperating, Steve Bannon and others, they will be getting the John Eastman emails. And you know, I've talked to members of the committee and they are just overwhelmed with the amount of material that they have gotten in. So they'll be able to tell us a lot. The Justice Department is indeed you know, expanding some of its investigation and rounding up more people uh, who are participants in the actual riot at the Capitol. That's all great for accountability. We still don't know if the Justice Department and Merrick Garland are looking at Trump, Eastman, and others directly for their efforts, if not necessarily related to the January 6th riot itself, but to their efforts in that time frame to overturn the election and to block the certification of the electoral college votes. Again, this is an issue that Norm alluded to that lawyers you know, and legal experts go back and forth on. I've talked to some say there are laws that could be applied in this in this situation, but we still have no signs from the Justice Department that they are pursuing that sort of investigation targeting Trump and his henchmen um, and henchwomen, there are a few women, for, for all that. And we can go into more detail on that if you like to, because the other track I see is the political track. And if you look at the numbers now, and we're still a few months out, but every day we're a day closer to the midterms, it does look like the Republicans have a good shot of winning the House back. And in, in days past, years past, in what's called the generic poll, which is if you just ask people, are you more likely to vote for a Republican or a Democrat without getting into the specifics of the race in their district, Republicans would sometimes, on, on a good year, be up three points. In the recent polls, they're getting close to 10 points. So that is making them almost giddy in anticipation. When you talk about accountability, we talk about legal accountability in terms of what the Justice Department might do, laws broken, and so on. But the other side of accountability, obviously, is political accountability. And if the Republicans win back the House, they obviously will shut down the January 6th committee when they take power. There'll still be two months for the committee to finish its work. But if it has anything else to do beyond that, it'll be dead. But they also will go on a complete revenge binge. There'll be 37 different investigations of just Hunter Biden alone. They'll go back to the deep state, go back to the Steele document, revive all these conspiracy theories about Ukraine and 2016 election. I mean, it's just going to be a complete shit show, right? But I think the worst of it will be it will show that they got away with it. That these Republicans and the guy who they love the most try to overturn the election, they then, you know, didn't vote to impeach and they've supported him, saying they want, you know, they, they'll support him again if he runs for president again. They have, you know, denied the significance of January 6th over and over again. I mean, this is just one of many, many, many lies that they've gotten behind in terms of supporting Trump. So if they win, the House and or Senate, it will show there is absolutely no political accountability for that site, that type of political behavior. And that's, I think, in our system, that's as important, maybe in some ways you can argue even more important than having the accountability of specific federal investigations. And just to, to wrap it up here um, in our opening remarks, I think all elections, you know, most elections are not preordained. Some, a few are. Norm probably knows more about this than I do. But a lot can go one way or the other 
particularly when you're this far out. And if the Democrats don't get serious about stopping a Republican takeover of the House and Senate, that means the Democrats in Congress, that means the Democrats in the White House, that means Democrats who, Democratic funders who create messaging months and weeks before the election. If they don't get serious yesterday, they're going to be in a state of shock. And this idea of, account- of accountability for a insurrection will be shot. What was the best of times part of all that? <laughs> <laughs> that they, they're expanding. They're expanding some of the investigations. Uh, the January okay. I say, I right. say, no, I was getting some text messages. I mean, there it, are a few things it, re, it, it reminds me of the story my father used to tell of the little boy who received a stocking full of horse manure on Christmas. And his response was, where's the pony? Oh, that's Ronald Reagan's um, favorite story. Yes. Was it? Well, have my 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 immigrant father used to tell that story as well. He got it from your grandfather, obviously. Yeah, my, yes. my, yeah, my, yeah somebody, somebody like that. <laughs> so, Norm, you're one of the great experts on the Congress and on how these political processes work. And I just want to pick up for a moment. We'll come back to some of these accountability issues in a, in a second on the political analysis that David did, which seems sound to me. I like read the paper every day. And here's what I see in the paper. Record unemployment, record job creation, record economic growth, uh, $3 trillion in packages last year that went to help people, whether it's infrastructure packages or lifting kids out of poverty, handling of a major global crisis of the sort we have not seen in a long time extremely well, no corruption, no scandal to speak of. What's going on? Meanwhile, the Republicans are led by a bunch of serial criminals, and apparently there are orgies and cocaine parties in the Republican Party. I had no idea that that was going on in Washington, but it explains why you guys are down there, and I'm not. But you know, the Republican Party is led by a bunch of liars and, and clearly corrupt people, and yet we seem to be heading in this direction. How is this possible? So uh, I, I will say that when uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy took Madison Cawthorn to task for his comments about septuagenarian sex orgies and cocaine use. I had to wonder whether they were chastising him because he lied or because he uncovered another element of their uh, misconduct. Uh, That Chuck Grassley looked very, very shady to me, but go on. So I do have to, prompted by David with his favorite New Yorker cartoon, and for you as a New Yorker, you'll appreciate this. My favorite New Yorker cartoon is the tourist who goes up to somebody in Manhattan and says, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where the Empire State Building is, or should I just go fuck myself? But that's apropos of nothing at this point. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe apropos of everything. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, as you are, very frustrated by the fact that objectively there are so many terrific things. And one you didn't mention is Biden's masterful handling of Ukraine and uh, keeping our allies together and managing a process that is extremely difficult to do. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And at the same time, what the Republicans are doing at every level is showing that they are extreme authoritarians. Look at the laws that are being passed now in Arizona uh, on voters, more voter suppression, 
in Florida, the uh, don't say gay bill across the board. You look at the craziness in Washington, the idea that Madison Cawthorn is chastised because he might have lied about orgies, but that the only ones who've seriously been sanctioned are Adam Kinsinger and Liz Cheney, the only ones looking for the truth of what happened in a violent insurrection, and others, including, of course, two who attended white supremacist rallies and were giddy about it, got no punishment at all. The public doesn't focus on this. Now, part of this is something that we've seen over and over. The focus tends to be on whether you like or dislike what the party in power is doing. Joe Biden has managed to do extraordinarily well with an evenly divided Senate and a margin effectively for most of his presidency so far of three in the House. The public doesn't look at how close the margins are. They see Democrats in charge. And frankly, the press coverage of these issues, which continues to have pictures of the most expensive gasoline station in the country in Beverly Hills to point to gas prices and inflation and doesn't say much of anything about other things going on in the economy. When you have a CBS News that anticipating Republican majorities hires as a paid contributor, Mick Mulvaney, who was the one who conspired with Donald Trump to do the phone call shaking down Zelensky while withholding the aid that would have helped even at that point to shore up the defenses against a potential Russian attack. It tells I might I might add illegally withholding the aid illegally. It tells you an awful lot about our so-called mainstream media. So, uh, you know, you can't blame the media entirely. And I think the other thing that I find very frustrating is that as I watch the hearings with uh, Judge Jackson, and you've got these sleazy, racist, distorted attacks on her integrity, including an attack on her being soft on sex predators coming from Josh Hawley, who as a prosecutor had one celebrated case, which he gave a guy probation after some pretty heinous acts. And Democrats on the committee didn't even push back. A part of the fact that the Democratic base is blah at best about Biden and about Democrats, that the disapproval of Biden in the surveys is much greater than the strong disapproval, than strong approval, is in part because the Democratic Party has not fought back in its elected officials in a highly visible way, showing that they're fighting against bad things and against evil. And I think we're seeing this in the lack of enthusiasm in the African-American community, even in the aftermath of these attacks on the first African-American woman who is almost certain to be on the Supreme Court. We're seeing it in the lack of enthusiasm more generally. But Republicans, because they are so artful at portraying themselves as victims, people who think they're victims get all charged up, are in stronger shape right now. It's not over. We're still many months before the election, but right now, as David said, it's not looking great. And if they win the majority in both houses, especially in the Senate, it's more significant because of judicial nominees and executive nominees. 
mention one other thing, which is Senate Republicans have blocked the confirmation of officials in the Biden administration who are there to help Ukraine in its fight against Russia. That's how low they've sunk. And if they take the majority, no officials go into place. And the last two years of the Biden administration will be sheer hell. Most human endeavors boil down to whether there's a story or not. You know, it's, I think it's the way humans are hardwired. We're not data oriented, we're story oriented with, you know, heroes, villains, people we care about. You know, you want, you want narratives. You don't want to sit down and compare ledgers. And the Republicans tend to, in particular, I think recently, have a very simple, compact story that they tell again and again and again. You know, the Democrats are fucking you over. The election was stolen. We have to win the country back, make America great again, whatever it is. And, you know, and Trump is the hero of the story and he made everything great and everything now is terrible. And they just say it thousands of times a day. And like, they're coming after you. They want you to be woke. They want your kids to be gay. They, you know, it's, it's you know, there's a very strong element of fear. And in a story, fear you know, often is a powerful component. Democrats, it's like, well, we're kind of governing here, you know, leave us alone. Uh, we'll get back to you with, with a 20-point policy plan on why you should vote for us next October. And when they're not doing that, you know, they're squabbling amongst themselves over assorted issues, uh, which, you know, happens within parties and it's hard to get around that. But when you're up against a very black and white opponent who is telling a story based on falsehoods, but trying to whip, whip up fear, you can't just say, we don't do that sort of thing. You have to figure out, you have to think about how does this register? What does this do for their voters? What can we do for our voters and for those 27 voters who are in between? And, you know, that would mean, you know, coming up with a very sharp edged narrative. Now, I understand Biden still hopes for bipartisan activity. And if you do that, you alienate the other side. But I don't think he has a choice any longer. They want to stop you from voting, you know, my fellow black and brown Americans. They want to, you know, the reason you don't have expanded dental care and Medicare is because of them. They want to take away your vote in presidential elections and let them decide who it's going to be. They support someone who is saying nice things about Vladimir Putin. The, you know, we're up against you know, authoritarians who are trying to rig the, not just the election, but the entire political system. And they want to do this so that you don't get universal pre-K coverage or paid work, you know, work leave. That's what's happening here. And look what they did to this wonderful black woman the other day. It is absolutely disgraceful. I sent her up there hoping they would treat her well. Look what they did. I mean, the Republicans still complain about Clarence Thomas's treatment from 1991. The Democrats do not, you know, and it's true, you know, it gets people angry, it gets them riled up. But for elections, that's what you have to do. And if they don't, do that, 
they'll be swamped. And they there are more of them than there are Republicans when you sort of go down the numbers. What do you, you know, look at, do you believe this? Do you believe that? You know, their policy issues get majority positions. Most people do, you know, you know, Trump's approval ratings are incredibly low, only high amongst Republicans. So if you talk about restoring Trump to power or supporting his big lie, that's an unpopular position. So the Democrats have a majority in terms of overarching political views and, and, and individual political or policy positions. But uh, if you don't get people engaged, then it doesn't matter. If you can't do that, they're going to cede political territory in an off non-presidential election where the voting turnout is low. Look what happened in 1994, the first midterm after Clinton took over. The Republicans won it back, won back Congress for the first time in, you know, in what, 40 years? 40 years. 40 years. And then you look what happened to Obama in 2010, even though he had all these successes in terms of saving the economy from going off the cliff in the first year or two of his presidency, you know, mopping up after the Bush Cheney recession and, you know, the Newt Gingrich, um, I'm not Newt Gingrich, but the Republicans came in at that point in time again and took back the House and, you know, made him a sort of a minority powered on the House on the Congress side, president got in the way of doing things. Uh, how many times do you have to be hit in the head before you say, I need to do something different? And right the- now, I don't see the Democratic Party as an institution, which is hard because there is no governing body at the Democratic Party. It's just a bunch of individual players with the president being the biggest one of them all. But I don't see them forging together a strategy and a message that is up to the task and up to the crisis, or I should say the crises of the moment. Norm, you know, David summed that up extremely well. I tend to look at this and I think the Republicans are scorched earth and they have no problem saying the Democrats will be the destruction of America. And the Democrats tend to respond to that, as David suggested, by saying, here's a white paper. We've done some analysis. You know, the Republicans are willing to attack Democrats and fearmonger. And the Democrats, even though the Republicans are pro-Putin, anti-democracy, pro-COVID, pro-death, anti-rule you know, of law, elevating a serial sex abuser, corrupt individual to be president, the Democrats don't ever want to call that out. They're saying, well, let's not make it about them. Let's make it about us. And yet the Republicans are always making it about them. Where's the blame? You know, I mean, I've, I've been very, you know, I've said this on this podcast before. I've been very loath to go after Joe Biden too much because I think he's doing a good job on one level. And then on the other level, even where some critique of the party is in order, I think the, these are existential stakes here. I think, you know, if the Republicans take over in the House and the Senate, they win in 2024 democracy will not be the same again. And so we need to stay unified. But clearly, we're doing something wrong. How do you fix it, Norm? There's no doubt about it. Now, you know, one thing we can say is this is an old story. When uh, John Kerry was the Democratic presidential nominee, and they swift voted him, the general reaction was, nobody's going to believe that. But of course, if you don't counter it, and people don't see a response, they do believe it. 
And we're getting the same thing now. And at the same time, Democrats tend to think that actions speak for themselves and that policies speak for themselves. Nothing speaks for itself. You have to create, as David said, a narrative and a counter narrative. And if you're going to get your base excited about a midterm election, you have to show you're fighting back against evil things and bad things. And at the same time, I've been frustrated with both the House and Senate because in many ways, January 6th committee aside, and it's a sterling example of uh, good things, but as a general matter, they've treated this like a typical Congress. They've gone away on their recesses than the way they normally do recesses. The committees are not active in dealing with a whole set of issues and ways of, of treating some of these problems. I'll tell you that I've tried very hard, for example, to get the House and Senate Judiciary Committees to do hearings quickly on the Supreme Court Code of Ethics, bring in John Roberts and make him explain why it's perfectly fine for Clarence Thomas to take a vote on January 6th and documents that might very well involve his own wife and why they don't need a code of ethics. Put some meat on the bones. Show your Democrats and independents out there and suburban women out there that you're fighting. Do something more with hearings as we see the shadow docket of the Supreme Court eviscerating what remains of the Voting Rights Act, an Alabama case done without any fingerprints on it that basically chips away even more at Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. They're getting away with it when it comes to just about completely eviscerating Roe v. Wade. We're not quite there yet, but we will be soon. States are doing terrible things, and it doesn't look like Democrats are responding to it at all. If the signal doesn't go out there, not only that what you've done, that's an, a positive, the policies that you pursue, but that you're just standing by and shrugging while the other side does violence to everything you believe in, then people are going to say, what's the difference? What's the point? This is the moment in the podcast where we take a break. We say thanks very much to the people who've joined us from the general public. And we say, you're tough luck because you don't get to listen to the whole podcast unless you become a member. And so, you know, go sign up at the DSR network and you can become a member and hear the whole podcast and hear all the other stuff that just goes to members. And we've had a lot of members join us recently, I think partially because of the war in Ukraine and partially because of the conversations like this one. And we hope you will join that crowd because, frankly, we miss having you with us for the whole podcast. Uh, but if you're in that general public, go now and, and join up and you can listen to the rest of it. If you're a member, stand by. We'll pick up again momentarily.